Hello and welcome. I'm Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Mail podcast. On today's episode, Ian and I are joined by Neil Renison. Neil's a returning guest and adds a lot to the discussion of writing within video games. Neil is the original founder of 10 Man Games and has worked in the games industry for over 15 years, being involved in over 50 published games. Neil has had a number of articles published in 3D World Magazine and PC Format. He has dabbled in university lecturing and is an adjudicator for government funding in games and has given talks at various gaming conventions and IGDA gatherings. In the media section, we chat about Spider-Man, Homecoming, Game of Thrones, of course, Castlevania, and more. For the topic, we talk all things video game narrative and where we see things going. As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate in contacting me on my email, mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. We're coming to you from the Brunswick Street Bookstore, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ian Lakey. Now, in case you're wondering, again, Luke is not gone forever. I, I We know you love him, but he's on a holiday because he doesn't love you as much as you love him. It's one of those kinds of relationships. Um, and he's off in Europe having a great time and doing some writing stuff, a bit of a writing retreat. Um, and he'll be back on the next episode, so fear not. Anyway, Ian, let me tell you about something that happened to me today. Hi, by the way. Hi. Yeah. Um, so I saw Robert De Niro's lookalike today. Oh, really? It was it was Stop a very yeah, it was a very surreal experience of walking down Brunswick Street and mm. seeing Robert De Niro walking the opposite way very yeah. intimidating um he was he was quite short mm. um he did the whole robert de niro tongue on the lip thing as uh, well yeah, yeah. so it like yeah, yeah exactly yeah, it sold it to me mm. and i'm sure my mouth was open i'm yeah. sure because yeah. it was really very weird mm. um it's good i bet you it's not robert de niro though well i i did have that once when um they were filming a movie here um, and Aaron Eckhart was in it, and I actually did see Aaron Eckhart uh, right. walking down the street, and kind of you know my wife and I were walking along, and she was like, "It's Aaron Eckhart," and I was like, "What?" And um, the, you, you know how Rachel? I confirmed it was him? Yeah. I went on Twitter mm-hmm. and searched for Aaron Eckhart's name, and just read the trail. Who was saying, "Did Aaron Eckhart just walk through <laughs> Melbourne Central? Did he just climb?" This? You know, right. Seriously, you could tell. Where well, was he, was he just alone? Yeah, it's just him walking through Melbourne. No one was hassling him. He was just doing his thing. Yeah, it's weird because you don't expect that. So. Yeah. It's a bit like Jeffrey Rush in the train. He he shows up on a lot of people's Twitter feeds. He lives near Camberwell. There you near go. Camberwell, that's why, near the station. Hmm. Yeah. There you go. Talking about celebrities, we've uh, got one for you today, ladies ooh. and gentlemen. Neil Renison, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, you looking at me? Yes, I'm looking at you. <laughs> okay. Hello. How, you How are you going, Neil? I'm How's good, it been? Uh, yeah, I'm busy and stuff. Yeah. Dying to get back on the podcast, Mike? Yeah, this is kind of good. Just can't I, wait. I feel a bit, it feels strangely old. comfy. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's literally <laughs> the opposite of what you just said. No, it, it, it's good. Okay. It's nice to be. Fantastic. Um, how have you been? How has work been treating you? Uh, it's been super, super busy. The yeah. Last few months, we've had a few game releases, mm-hmm. and we're currently working on a huge console game. It's our first ever console game. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, which is very exciting. So, yeah, we're just all knuckling down trying to get that done at the moment. Fantastic. Well, um, we have some interesting stuff to talk about today in the media mm. section, so let's just jump right into it. Um, so, 
video game adaptations. Not that it has anything to do with the guest we've got currently. This is just something randomly we <laughs> thought that we should do eventually. Talking about video game adaptations. Now, it's not a conversation that can be done in five minutes, but mm. uh, there was a recent adaptation of the Castlevania series um, on by Netflix, a Netflix original series, an animated original series. Mm. Uh, now, I'm not a big animated watcher like i don't watch a lot of anime um but it was castlevania and it had the allure of let's see if they you know did this right and had a good voice cast and i was like all right i'll dip my toe into this um Mm. it's about an it's it calls itself the first season it's basically 80 minutes intro Mm. movie really because it really does feel like an artificial um split between episodes it just feels like they it was the first concept and they were like Netflix if people like this we'll fund the rest of it kind yeah. of a thing mm-hmm. um, Adi Shankar is the producer of this now I like him because he does a lot of weird stuff um, he did the whole Power Rangers bootleg thing uh, on mm-hmm. YouTube a while back yeah. um, he did oh <laughs> He did The Grey with Liam Neeson in it. Oh, oh yeah. Um, Good movie. Great he did movie. Dread, a movie that I like mm-hmm. quite a lot. Yeah. Um, well, the most recent one. The most recent. The reboot with yeah. Carl Urban. Carl Urban, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's basically great. a good... That was great. Yeah, mm. yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, so good and pedigree. overlooked, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know we worked on a Dread game, didn't you? Yes, yeah. yeah. I have it on my phone somewhere. Yeah, it's not around anymore, though. Yes. Sadly, we had to remove it because the license rang out and they didn't want to renew, sadly. Uh, it's a good that's, game, though. That's dreadful. That's, oh! That's, sorry. Sorry. Oh, dear. Sorry. Oh, dear. I know. I, well, if anybody does want to play the game... Uh, if you see me on the street, grab my phone. <laughs> Just grab, grab my your phone. phone. <laughs> well, that's an open invitation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, Castlevania showed up, and we asked Ian and Neil to have a look at it um, last minute, so they didn't get to the full thing. Um, but basically, their first impressions. Now, as a heads up, I only played pretty much half of a Castlevania game at one stage in my life, so I'm not exactly a buff of, um, you know, the series, and I cannot tell you every named character, um, only that it has some pretty good art in the games, and I did enjoy that. Um, and it's influenced a lot of game design uh, because of it. Now, with that in mind, we're going into this very much as it's a TV show, and we're, we're looking at it as that. Ian, mm. what, what was your first impression? You watched the first episode, what did you think? Yeah, no, look, I, I thought it wasn't... My first impression was it wasn't terrible terrible like uh, and that's a that's saying a lot because my experience um as a long time gamer is that anytime people try and move a narrative over from um from game to movie or tv show it just it just falls dead like nine out of ten uh, I, I can barely think of anything which uh, is not viewed with pure hatred by the gaming community except perhaps ironically the live action ninja turtles movies uh, back in the day because they're just so ridiculous or the Mario Brothers. I mean, the list goes on. Street Fighter. Street Fighter. I, yeah, we, we won't Classic. go there. In fact, I, I was saying to Joel before the show, the best thing that ever happened to movies, that, uh, movie adaptions from games was when they cancelled the Halo movie and made District 9 instead. That was the best thing, I think, <laughs> that ever happened because <laughs> District 9 is amazing and wouldn't have got made if they'd done Halo. So, you know, I'm happy. Um, but no, I, I enjoyed uh, what I saw enough. 
Um, and I felt like you could see all of the influences were there. Um, there were a lot of choirs singing. Um, the artwork is heavily anime influenced. Um, so yeah, it, it's a solid effort and solid in the fact that it wasn't just overtly terrible. And you know, I roll my eyes anytime I hear they're doing an adaption of anything. Mm-hmm. The only time I didn't roll my eyes was for the recent Assassin's Creed adaption, which I hear was terrible. Yes. That had Michael Fassbender. I watched sake. it. Yeah, flight. I did too. Yep. Yep. Ooh, and yeah, yeah. I, yeah, not even he could save it. I, I love Fast. I like him. I yeah, I love him. He's great. Yeah, he's like I have a bit of a man crush on yeah, him. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, totally. I think we're all like, there, and I'll fight you for him. But but yeah, I, I, I yeah, yes. it wasn't no. Nothing uh, could save nothing that save. script. No. <laughs> yeah. Um. Even Marion Marion Cotillard. Oh, and she's wonderful. She was there too. She's, yeah, she was. They all need. They all need to eat. And yeah, that's um, true. That's everyone true. has a miss, but yeah. Even Jeremy Irons is in it. I'm sorry. What a cast. I didn't realize the cast was that good. It could have been yeah. a very good movie. It had all, everything there, but yeah, it just wasn't. But, uh, the sum was far weaker than all the parts. Would that be fair to say? It just it's, it's that thing where you have a video game that the plot makes sense in a video game mm. because mm. you know they, they set out the plot and then you control a character and... You, you accept the control. Yeah, this whole kind of like modern day going into the past thing. Mm. But as soon as you put real people in a studio <laughs> and try and explain all the things, it's like... Yeah. And that happens with graphic novels and comics Absolutely. as well. Yep. Yep. And then um, you cram an expositional scene into like five minutes. Yeah, it's all a bit... Mm. It's like, um, I like I'm a big fan of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I love right. Alan Moore. Oh. And those comic books are amazing mm. and then you saw the movie but, but then you put all that bit together and it just it cl- cl- clunks together and creaks and mm. oh yeah this, this just doesn't work quite so well if it, I can, yeah. yeah if I can think of one thing that I've seen I know we're well away from Castlevania now but if I think of oh, one thing we're talking a general idea of yeah. adaptations sure we'll one thing that kind of did work and it's because it was so closely knitted to the material was when they did um, Final Fantasy Advent Children of course you're going to mention took, I, had, I, had to, I had to mention Final <laughs> Fantasy anytime they took Final Fantasy 7 they didn't try and didn't that like them. break the studio is that the one I'm thinking of uh, it might have I mean it was just it was just amazingly done I, yeah was the, that the CG film yeah the yeah, CG yeah, film yeah, yeah. just incredible and like Final Fantasy no you're thinking of, are you thinking of Final Fantasy, the Spirits Within or whatever it was. Uh, I think oh, I maybe. Yeah. yeah, so that I'm one did look amazing, within. but absolutely mm. bombed. But then Final Fantasy Advent yeah. Children was just, it took the characters from um, from uh, Final Fantasy, one of the best known uh, villains and most loved villains of all time in Sephiroth, and just yeah, ran it all out mm. and took it to a great conclusion. And uh, I, th- I thought that was really well done. But, you know, that didn't try to you know, recreate the original lore of the story. It just kind of took it as read and then went from there. And I yeah. think that could be something that did right. Mm. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, th- I think the thing it works in that regard because they're not trying to appeal to a mass market there. They're no. trying to appeal to Final Fantasy players. Yeah. And I think that's the problem with the Assassin's Creed movie and a lot of movies. And like you said, Neil, yeah, there was that scene in Assassin's Creed probably like 15 minutes in the movie or 10 minutes in the mm. movie where it's like Marion caught a lot of... Ex, like exposition oh, no. d- law dump mm. on like <laughs> we are the Templar Order and we're putting you into the past to do great things for humanity and yeah. we need you. Yeah, yeah. And it explains the whole plot <sighs> in a one. Piece yeah, of and yeah. And wasn't the original? I haven't played the original game for a very long time, but wasn't mm. the original game? You didn't realize it was like a simulation thing until yeah. right at the end. Yes. Well, uh, fair, fair way in. It was a fair, fair way. Yeah, in. fair way in. I think. And yeah. 
in in a weird kind of way that it kind of works because you get these weird like glitches mid yeah. through the game and then it's like it was telling jarring. you there's something it was up. jarring because suddenly you were in modern day and, and that in many ways you know from from as a gamer i think that's where video games have this unique um way of disrupting a narrative and it's mm. been seen in big spoilers for final fantasy 7 but you know it's been seen in the moment that they kill off one of the major characters there which is goes down in history as one of the greatest mm. kind of you know plot twists because you've invested a whole lot of effort into one thing and then it turns out that you know they take it away it's it's quite jarring i also feel it's it's kind of one of those things where i think they're in a meeting i think they're in a writer's room or probably right. not they're probably <laughs> in the studio exec's room yeah and they have this spreadsheet of things they need to tick it is sort of like the the first person sequence in the doom movie um mm, yeah. while being good oh. by the way mm. um <laughs> you know that it was there because people like because you do that in the game, so it's in yeah, the movie. Yeah. And I think this sort of forced, oh, we need touchstones. So right. I think in the Assassin's Creed movie, there definitely was like a checklist mm. of like... Climbing buildings. Climbing yeah. buildings. Eagle. Eagle. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good That's a good impression. Um, jumping into a, the hay bale, which I think there was no hay bale. Yeah. Um, I, I really just feel like it was a movie that was like, oh, let's just... Show in real life. Show it in real yeah. life and have Michael Fassbender. I'd have rather have just had all the past stuff. Absolutely. I think that's right. every Assassin's Creed like, fan. And maybe both in a the bit games. right at the end where you suddenly see it's just... This weird yeah. transition into the mm. future. And, you're and like, I know like, oh. a lot of the fans of the show are going to be like... Um, us fans of the game mm. are going to be like, oh, we know what's coming. Yeah. There will be a whole audience though that doesn't mm. know that. What's and would think it's coming. an amazing story. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah, I agree with you completely. It should have been... All the uh, medieval Spain bit, really, um, right up until the end, the character does something. You you like zoom into the into the future. He opens his eyes. You zoom out. You see the complex film mm. ends. Every Assassin's Creed fan will get it, mm. and everybody in the audience will think Inception moment kind of a thing, right? right. Well, you know what they should have had. They should have had Jean Luc Picard and Riker <laughs> turn up. <laughs> And they're really in a hollow suite. There we go. That would have been amazing and have it sort of linked into Star Trek. And him Trek. going, no. that's, a pl- that's a plot twist. But I think every every film should link into Star Trek somehow. <laughs> it would work. Oh, there man. would be, yeah, yeah, some planet, the Star Trek verse, mm. where yeah. they discover. It's good. It so, works. Look, Castlevania, not bad. Not bad. I think my thoughts on it were really weird, iffy animation uh, at times where some scenes are really well animated and some scenes look like they really had to rush this out and be like, we need to animate this in flash kind of a, yep. kind mm. of a deal. Neil, you watched a little bit of it. What did you, what were your first impressions? Well, I don't have Netflix, so I couldn't watch mm. the show. So I haven't seen mm-hmm. this is the bit the where episode. you had to con us and say like, well, yeah. my impressions, Joel. Well, well so, so <laughs> y- 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 I, I saw your email, I, I did a Google search, um, and I've got to say, the first thing, I saw the trailer, which was the bit where you see the cartridge, yes. on the top, and they blow on the cartridge, yeah, yeah. and then it goes and zooms out, yeah. and I was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. this is ticking all my yeah. nostalgia buttons here, and they did that mm. really, really well. They did. Um, which I thought was really great, and then I actually did the search, and there's like an extended yeah. intro bit where you see the opening bit mm. with the... Mm. And it was lunchtime, and I was eating my lunch, <laughs> and yeah, and then I saw loads of people get slaughtered horribly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very right. violently. And I wasn't expecting that. I was thinking yeah. this is going to be a fun thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that put me off a little bit. But then you know, I, I, I actually I'd probably 
if I do watch it, I'll probably quite enjoy it. I, mm. I was when I was a kid, I had I remember buying the VHS of uh, Legend of the Overfiend, Yurotsukidoji mm. or something, mm. <laughs> and and I hadn't had much. Uh, I hadn't seen a lot of, uh, much anime or manga yeah. stuff. Ah, and right. It was one of my first experiences of that, and that is quite uh, graphic. Right. In yeah. many, many yeah, ways. Yeah, a lot of old, old school anime. And it was yeah. like a it was a bootleg copy that was passed around school. Yeah, and, right. <laughs> it had the rating scratched off it. Uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, so that you know, it kind of reminded me a little bit of that because I've not really had much mm. uh, you know experience of of that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. Castlevania is one of those things where it went in. There's that really terrible scene with Dracula, which I think is really it's, badly scripted yeah, was... and just an awful way to introduce the show to people who have never watched Castlevania. And even the, the yeah. fans would, I don't think they'd like that very much. Mm. Um, the voice acting's pretty good overall. I will give it a big tick on that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the voice cast doesn't do a lot of voice acting. Mm. So there's that kind of freshness where it just feels like. Yeah, it it feels yeah. it feels different to a mm. lot of other uh, animation. Um, and then, yeah, Neil, it, about twenty minutes or ten minutes into the show, people just start yeah. swearing their heads off and like cutting heads off little children. And I was very, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. pretty brutal. Yeah, so who's, who's the? So the question is, who is the market for this TV show? I don't know. Well. I mean, you, you, if they're capturing the nostalgia with that fact, you'd think do, it would be people like us. I do feel it is people up. like us, and I think it's people who play the Castlevania games who would understand the references that they're making. Yeah. Because there are a lot of things that even I, I'm just like, I don't know what this is, but I'm sure that... Someone know, who played Castlevania would get it. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, that's that's our, ten, that's our tangent. I look forward to checking it out. Castlevania. Mm. Let's... Let's move on to the other, the big elephant in the room that's been going on for the last couple of weeks, mm. Game of Thrones. Oh, because Thrones. inevitably on this podcast, we will uh, have to talk about the show. We will. So let's do it. Yep. Oh my gosh. Who um, wants to go first? Well, look, I'll, I'll, well, I feel like I'm kind of middle of the road here. Uh, All right. Neil, what are your thoughts so far? Are you enjoying the season? Uh, yeah. And I, only the, the main reason I'm loving it is because, um, for the first time in the whole of the show, Don't know I, what's I haven't got a clue what's happening. Ah, um, yes. In fact, I, the first series was like that because I, I watched the first series and then read, consumed all the books. Yep. And I was always uh, like a book ahead of each season. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And it's quite funny. There was, I was the, before the first episode aired the other day, I was out, just popped out for lunch. Mm. And a, a, a friend of mine who works for another game studio came up to me and said, oh, you, you love Game of Thrones. It's Game of Thrones tonight, isn't it? And I was just like... I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm not really that <laughs> yeah. about it. Like, this can. Yeah, look, I said, look, I've had my feel. Like, to be honest, I'm a bit over Game of Thrones. Yeah. Oh, right. So <laughs> you were doing that. Were about you? ten right. o'clock that evening, mm. I just sent a tweet to him. And went, oh my god. <laughs> 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 Which is quite funny. Yeah. yeah. No. So yeah, I, I think I, I think it's uh, it's been good. I mean, there's a, you know I, there are issues, but on the mm-hmm. whole. You know, it's it's doing all it's set out to do. I think it's good. It's hard because um, you know I'm kind of middle of the road. I, I enjoy it. The first two episodes were fairly slow. This, but then the third episode, which was this week, uh, so obviously we'll be a little bit behind now. But you know, come to the third episode, the, I think it's called the Queen's Revenge. Uh, just absolutely began to pay things off, and they start moving things on at pace. Uh, the thing I probably find the most difficult about the watching the series uh, compared to the books is that you know certain things would take a very long time. I mean, in the previous episode, they're like, we're going to see Daenerys. And the next episode, we're at Daenerys. You're like, you literally traveled like the length of the entire Seven Kingdoms. That would take a very long time. 
but you know, it's like they got there tomorrow. It's yeah. like they had a you know, Star mm. Trek phase. Mm. Yeah, get us in. So you know, it's um that part I struggle with a bit, but I, I've really enjoyed it. And um, I, the one thing probably I'd say as well is that I I never really loved how they've treated um uh, the character of Jamie. I feel like they don't quite get it. the book version of Jamie. I feel is a bit. I'd agree with that. Actually. Yeah, more complex. Whereas in, in the show, he never really kind of pulls away from Cersei so much, especially yeah. So yeah, that's probably just that's a decision they obviously had to make. Mm. But yeah, I that would be one thing that I'd be critical of. So, oh, go for it. Now. No, I was just going to say on the distance mm. thing. Yeah. it's not just the the distance that people travel across the land. It's also the t- my worry. I, I do worry about is that um, we've we've had all these seasons where they're establishing all these characters, mm. and so a lot of these characters, their our story arcs have moved very slowly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, within one episode, everybody's character or everybody's story arcs moved forward so quickly mm. and there were so many payoffs especially in this last recent most recent episode mm. that the 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 sum of all like this i mean it was wonderful mm. but if when i went broke down each character i was like oh, i'm disappointed i could have had a whole episode just about yeah. that payoff for that one character yeah and you know they're obviously racing through to the end now but yeah. but yeah, it's that that's my only worry about that bit. Mm. yeah so all right let's put up a big spoiler um, notice spoiler warning. Yeah, spoiler, spoiler warning. So you know, don't blame us. Don't send me angry emails. I know you want to. I see you typing it out already, but you know what you're in for when you start listening to this podcast. Bruce Willis is a ghost. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. I already spoiled it. Um, so let's uh, uh, go through this. But let me put a caveat. Let me just put a big caveat right here. Now I know. I know people out there, and. I'm very self-conscious about my opinions after two years of doing this show because I've realized that there are two things that could happen or maybe three possible events that could happen. I watch or read or enjoy a piece of media that's been enjoyed for 20-odd years and then I come in, the newcomer, never heard of it or heard of it but never engaged in it, Mm. read it, hate it, talk about how I hated it and then people respond and say you're a contrarian, you know, just, Mm -hmm. you know... you know, it's not it's not smart to not like things, and then there's the inverse effect where I like things that are mostly despised, and then people say, "There's the, you know you're a contrarian. It's okay to not like things that are generally accepted to be bad." Yeah. All right. With all those caveats out of the way, I have now become incredibly self conscious about my <laughs> airing my opinions, but at the same time, am too stubborn to not air them. Um, so Game of Thrones. I really am confused by the new season more than I am upset. Tell me more, please. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not angry. Um, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. <laughs> I like Neil. I think there was an there was an excitement that mm. this season's moving past uh, what we know. Yeah. Um, so there's a there's a palatable sense that. Everything's new, everything's fresh, and everything feels like good. Mm. And yes, yeah, that that still is there. Um, but the other side is they had fantastic material to work with, mm. right? They had a fantastic author who, for the most part, delivered some pretty stellar writing, mm. prose that would jump off the page and you know, smack you in the face. And characters that were lively and 
really had a life of their own on the page. And even with his writing, some characters suffered in the adaptation, um, like Jamie, mm-hmm. um, like the whole Dawnish side story. Oh, which, oh the Dawn thing. Uh, can yeah. I just yeah, yeah. So handled so badly. Spoilers are out. At least they, they just decided to slaughter them, which was great. Just like yeah, just do it, please. Yeah, just get it over with. I think they. I think that the showrunners hopefully realized we stuffed this up so badly. The only thing we can do is just kill these people and, mercifully. And the the Dawn whole or the adventures of Jamie and Bron. Yeah. Yeah. Desert uh, it place. really felt like a yeah. different show. It's like <laughs> yeah. a like a buddy like a comedy, yeah, yeah. buddy comedy, and like and, hey, yeah, and that's it. And then Bron, okay, here goodbye. we're in yeah. Sandy Land, and let's <laughs> you know fight yeah. some you know vaguely hey, hey. Spanish, Sassy, yeah, Arabic cultured people, and like it's just shocking. And anyway. the only interesting character in the books, uh, well, not one of the one mm. of the more interesting characters in the books, um. And the na- I'm blanking on the name now. Mm. He's the uh, prince, chairbound, yes, uh, uh, Dornish. Prin- uh, 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 prince, not prince. No, no his no. brother. His brother, yes, Darren. Darren Martell, yes, doctor Darren. from Deep Space Nine. Yes, who's yes. fantastic. Yes. I love Alexander yeah, Siddig. Yeah, I think he's an amazing That's actor. That's where I'd seen him before. So anyway. yeah, <laughs> Alexander Siddig, great actor. Yeah, yeah. They put him in the role of Darren, and I was like, this yep. is gonna be good. Like mm. this is the Dornish story we need. Hmm. He's dead. Yeah, he died in such a just, and they just assume that the culture and the people are absolutely fine with someone who has you know no right to be there, Hmm. no right to be inheriting the throne. It's like, yeah, the people hate you. We don't see that. That's never shown. No, for all we know, they could love him. Hmm. Um, but she murders him. The water gardens look the (laughs) the only set they had, by the way, which they just shot from different (laughs) angles. <laughs> it was probably the only bit in the show where I was like, "Ah, that's TV." Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, the aside from the Dornish thing, then they got the character of Euron, who like sort oh. of flits between I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. Um, no, I'm a fabulous sea captain. Euron, I have to interrupt just for one second. Euron annoys me intensely, and it's annoyed me since the moment when he said. You know, comes on the screen. Let's go murder. I was just about to just, say that. Like, no, he says the words "Let's murder them." Yeah, yeah let's mur- let's let's murder my niece. And just like really, like no one would say that. Yeah, he said, "Where is my niece and nephew? Let's go murder them." Yeah. It's just the way he says it just sends shivers down my spine. Not in fear, but realizing that he's going to be a character in this season. Yeah. Um, and- you see. Mm. You see. Yeah, I you're, see. I see what you did there. Game of Thrones mm. is basically the bold and the beautiful. Yeah, it's a fantasy. it's a medieval soap yeah. opera, but yeah. the TV but written show, well. I mean, but the, the, obviously the books are way deeper and they've, yeah, they've got. Yeah. But the, the, they had to adapt them for TV, and they've they've turned it into more of a soap opera. A load of people stood around the room talking, mm. and do you know what? I'm absolutely fine with that mm. because like, if yeah. I want if I want the depth and the backstory, if I want to know about Dawn, it's still there in a book. It's yeah, the, yeah. yeah. It's absolutely not gone anywhere. You know, but yeah. put it this way, Neil. Here's my here's my um, counter to that. I I'm I absolutely agree with the idea that it's an adaptation. It doesn't have to be uh, direct, mm. you know, line by line version yeah, of yeah. books because you can read the books and books do things that films and well, you can TV. read most of the books. Two to go. Yeah. Oh, okay. If you're listening, George. Two to go. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm sure he yeah. hasn't heard that before. I'm sure. He um, but yeah, I absolutely get that. But I think 
simply, I think we were spoiled with the first two or three seasons mm. where it was just really well-paced, good quality writing. Even mm. the bits that they yeah, wrote yeah. that changed made sense and worked for TV. It's really just in these last few seasons that everything, the wheels are starting to like shudder and fall off mm. as they, as um, the producers like hurtle this cart as yeah, fast yeah. as they mm. can off the Into money the cliffs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, and yes, the teleportation and all that's quite bad. But mm. I think the underlying problem is that it says something about what's happening to the type of storytelling. That okay, sure, that that some movie magic can happen, but in order for the movie magic to be even thought of, you've made a mistake before that hasn't been rectified. That you've needed to now. by contrivance bring these characters together really quickly Mm. um i don't understand daenerys's character and somebody described her as having a split personality of going between this you know i'm a generous Mm. good-hearted person to i'm the mad king's daughter and not in a way that feels natural not like this is me being a queen now this is me being a human now like that's fine. That tells something about the burden of leadership, et cetera, et cetera. It's just it just doesn't make her a sympathetic character, somebody you can barrack for. And mm. uh having John that interaction with Daenerys and John, which I think everyone was looking forward mm. to. Yeah. When it happened, I it was such a strange it was as if John had gone into an interview that he just didn't prepare for very well because that was the look on his face throughout the entire conversation. Oh, like surprise. You mean. Yeah, like mm. not even surprise, but just what, why am I here? Right. Mm. And it, it, I don't know if it was the acting. I don't know if it was the scene. I don't I, know if I it was my expectation. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, with I, you. You liked it? I think the whole right. thing landed brilliantly. Yeah. I'm, Interesting. I'm with yeah. Neil on this one. Because it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a soap opera. It's a TV show. Yeah. They know we've been waiting for this moment. Yeah. And mm. so what better way than just to confuse the hell out of us a little bit? Yeah. Mm. But by giving us little t- little things, because we know who those people are, yeah. even though they yeah. don't yeah. really know. The wink, wink, and, and that it's, nudge. And it's yeah. just, and it's all the, the, you know, all the, I can't remember the exact piece of a script, but there were some wonderful lines that they Mm. Gave back to, and the and the Tyrion to Jon Snow lines yep. back and forth on the beach. The Tyrion there's, to Jon Snow lines were good, and you know, oh, and there's there's all these, there's you. a there's a great um, oh, it's a, a BuzzFeed article of all things, but mm. it's uh, I just came across it on Twitter the other mm. night. It's had, I actually um, mm. uh, retweeted it, and I actually tweeted at the author of the article as yeah. well because I said to her, you, and she's basically broken down the whole of that ep- the whole of the back mm-hmm. and forth that between Gina's stuff. I think. Yeah, yeah. Very oh good. yes, and oh oh oh, yeah, yes. lots of little gifts and things. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Yep. And it was, and she added a whole other layer to it that I hadn't even seen. Mm. Um, and and when I read her sort of, you know, theories on on that, I suddenly was like, I, I can see what the writers, what the TV show writers have done here, mm. and mm. actually, I think they've probably nailed it mm. for, for a TV show. Yeah, absolutely. You know? um, I was thinking about this. Um, mm. I hope George's book doesn't end up like that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because oh, no. yeah, that would be a market change. Um, well, to be honest, after, Comes Dance, 100 pages. after Dance of Dragons, you know, I'll take anything. Um, <laughs> what do you got, George? <laughs> what do you got anything George? you got, George. Um, yeah, no, I. That's a that's a good way of putting it, Neil. And I think I was thinking about it on the way here, and I was thinking that 
I read that article. I, I know the one you're talking yeah. about now. It has the different gifts of the different yeah, scenes she goes and down like. All the mm. the yes, things, I, yeah. I, yeah. Shout out to Jenna. Well yeah, done. absolutely. Oh, you know, um, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Um, it it made me think after reading that article. I was like, okay, what? Why do I have this problem with this show when I can accept be- like things that are much worse than this show? And mm. you know, why why cannot I accept this? Is it mm. because of my you know predilection to liking the book more? I think it comes down to the idea that Game of Thrones, the TV show, is a is a for the most part a very well constructed, internally consistent narrative. Mm. It knows how to thread plots together, which fans will be able to appreciate. Right? Like they put enough in there that scenes have the appearance of layering because they've foreshadowed it. And here's the payoff. And the mm. setup and payoff is something that they do quite well for some characters. Yeah. I think the problem with me is if you were to pull out completely of the internal consistency, if you were to remove the layering and simply look at the show and say, is this good dialogue? Mm. Mm. I, would, I would put forward the motion that it is not mm. for, a lot of, for a lot of this season anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. I I actually thought the last episode was the best scripted out of all of them. Yeah. Because it had most of the best characters in terms of sass. Yeah. So you know, Tyrion got his bit. Um, the introduction when the Onion Knight uh, says, "This is Jon Snow." Oh, he's great. He's mm-hmm. the King in the North. You know, yeah. brilliant. Liam Cunningham is a yeah, fantastic, fantastic actor, and he could pull off anything. Um, so yeah. you know, they had a number of the greatest characters then, and you've got um, yeah, it just kind of went character to character, to character. So I found myself chuckling quite a lot. So whoever wrote this episode, I'd say, was it's the most complete out of the mm-hmm. ones that have been this season. Um, there's actually quite a good lessons from the screenplay did a good breakdown of the scenes uh, and the how they're constructed in Game of Thrones definitely worth watching mm-hmm. um, always does a good job of that um, but yeah I mean it is what it is I think and I kind of just watch it and take it as this is what they're presenting I agree Joel it is just one interpretation of the author's original Absolutely. work they of course have the storyline I wonder in some ways whether, and it's probably it would have been a lot of work and impractical to do, maybe it would have been better for them to jump forward in time, something that I've never done, and then backfill us on how they got to where they are rather than trying to cram everyone in. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, that would be a lot more complex and stuff like that, but I wonder whether you couldn't do something like that just for the sake of, uh, you know, avoiding some of the rush rush. I mean, for even sake, we had two, we had two battles in like the space of three minutes in the last uh, episode, two yeah, major battles. And so both I have major issues with. One, yeah. the first one, I couldn't tell what was happening, and mm. it had Euron in it, which you know upset me. Yeah. Um, but the Sand Snakes died, so you know, there's there's that, there's yeah. that silver lining. Yeah. Um, and the second fight scene was good for the first mm. uh, minute or two minutes when Tyrion's narrating it, mm. and then he just should have stopped narrating it to let us experience the scene as it plays out naturally, not yeah. to just tell us the story as it's happening. It yeah. felt like an exposition on top of exposition. Yeah. It's like, right. just, yeah. it's like telling and showing at the same time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, Euron's magically teleporting fleet that manages to yeah. get from one end of the continent <laughs> to the other end of the continent. Yeah. It's, yeah. Forget, <laughs> it's, yeah. Forget about the white walkers. Get, he get took little fingers teleporter on the, on the last season and yep. he's just hijacked it. So, yep. you know, I want to find the person who runs that teleporter. Yeah. Yep. Hi that. <laughs> there was a uh, there was a really it's uh, it's uh, Chief O'Brien. There we go. There you go. We're back to Star Trek again. Ah, there we, we are. go. I knew it. I knew it. The multiverse. There wins. we go. Well, Littlefinger believes in the multiverse. Yeah. 
Oh, Everything is happening at go. once. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Look out for Picard. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Um, so, yes, let's let's wrap up the discussion on Game of Thrones there. I will continue not to enjoy myself and try my best to keep enjoying myself. But Can I just um, add something, just as a life yeah. little thing? Absolutely. And this is really important to me. When mm, I was okay. a kid at school, yes. I used to be into dragons. Yes. Right. I also used to okay. be into zombies. All right. right. people used to think I was a bit strange. Well, see, here we go. And, yep. uh, and I see something. And the beautiful something. thing of this show, and like Walking Dead and all these other mm. shows, is that the things that I love and hold dear is now enjoyed by it's the mainstream. lots of people. Yep. And that is a beautiful yeah. thing, however it's done. Yeah. <laughs> yep. No, I agree. I'll, I'll buy that. <laughs> I'd buy that for a dollar. Um, all righty. Uh, let's, let's move on to any short snippets that we want to talk about, any movies that we've got on our mind that we burning desire to, to mm. um, gestate upon. Yeah, no, I've, I'll just give you mine uh, quickly. I, uh, I saw Spider-Man. Which I quite enjoyed. Absolutely, um, and it's a, a good movie. What I, what I, the one thing I took out of it was that um, clearly Marvel is trying to diversify their um, their superhero movies to get a spe- specific kind of audience. This is clearly aimed at a younger audience. Yep. I could not connect with certain storylines about teen angst, and I'm just like, ugh, just talk to each other. It'll be fine. That's <laughs> <laughs> just my age showing. They um, don't talk; they message each other. Yeah. yeah so, sorry, yeah. Soz. Um, but I did enjoy it. It's, it's fun, and I, I had a lot of fun, and I laughed a lot. So it's it's a great movie. I've heard it's from people who really don't like superhero movies. Mm. Mm who go in and say that was a lot of fun. It was um, fun. They, and they just went out and had fun. And I mean, that's what Deadpool has done to the genre, um, really, is that people mm. try a lot harder to, to... But this actually, I think, succeeded well. Apparently there's a scene in the film, spoilers, uh, where Michael Keaton, who plays the villain of the mm. movie, mm. is in... He's taking... Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. I've blanked. Yeah, the, the main character, Peter Parker. Yes, thank you, Peter. Yeah. And... His girlfriend mm. to the uh, to the prom, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that, apparently that scene is just really well shot, it like is. the lighting, the way he looks back, yep. Michael Keaton's weird smile. You know, all of this mm. is apparently mm. a very, very funny, good scene. So, yeah. Yeah. no, the whole thing's great. So thoroughly recommended. Um, and the other thing that I uh, got my hands on the last couple of weeks was uh, re- an HD version of Final Fantasy XII, which uh, has been described before as <laughs> Star Wars in Final Fantasy form. I disagree. Fantastic uh, game mm-hmm. and thoroughly enjoyed seeing it in all its HD glory and running around at four times speed. So thank you, uh, Square Enix. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Neil, have you got any burning desires? So uh, I've been, uh, watch, uh, when I have been watching some show TV shows, I've been kind of addicted to Scandinavian mm. crime dramas. Ooh. So Which the, one are you going bridge. to mention? Oh. I watched all of the bridges and I just thought it was think? wonderful. I haven't seen it. Yes. It's really good. So, so good. Okay, yeah. Scandi crime dramas. And then amazing. I watched Wallander, which is actually a British, they're speaking English. Kind of again, like, a gem. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm gutted because I'm, I, I've still got to watch the last season, which I don't think is available it's, on Stan yet. Yeah, it's not available on Netflix either. And I did a little search for it on the internet and then a spoiler immediately. Oh. And I was like, oh. And that's like, but you okay. know, these yeah. things happen. I think I had the same spoiler. Yeah. It has to do with his character. It mm. does. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't, Arr. so I have no idea. Okay. Wallander is, I've talked about this on the podcast many times, probably one of my favorite crime dramas. It's so beautifully paced, wonderfully shot film. It's a funny thing because yeah. he is a miserable. You He's know, a miserable. <laughs> and yet I just love just, him. 
Yeah. And like, he's so emotional. Yeah. Is yeah. the thing that gets you in the first episode. Yeah. He cries. Yeah. And it's so like gut wrenching. And Kenneth Branagh is one. He's an incredible talent. I love him in pretty much everything. But like when you get as you go through all the episodes, you go. So it can't happen to him again. Oh, it's happened his again. His life is just the what? worst. That poor bloke. Yeah. His <laughs> relationship with his oh family, yeah. with himself, with his life, with future relationships. Mm. With... And that's a beautiful, uh, well-paced thing because each season's what, three episodes? And each episode's like feature length. It's like an hour and a half or whatever. So long, yeah. And so, and they jump Take time, time forward quite a bit mm. in between. And his ringtone. Yeah, that ringtone. I've actually tried to get it's an it's an old Sony Ericsson ringtone, yep. and maybe uh, ten years ago I would have been able to get it. But I've searched everywhere, and I just cannot get that the ringtone. Wallander ringtone. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's it, a similar thing actually in the bridge. Um, when the main char- her main character, whenever she answers the phone, she answers the phone in a certain way, mm. and yeah, I there's something <laughs> about hearing. I want her. Yeah, as mm. my like answer <laughs> machine. Yeah, like because that'd be brilliant. Um, That's good. so. Tailing off that segueing, it's uh, there's a show I've been watching which is Hinterland, which is a, a, a BBC Welsh drama. Mm. Um, I love anything set in the Welsh countryside. I'm a big sucker for that. Mm. Um, and I was recommended Hinterland, and man, it's miserable and oh. it's beautiful. Sort of everything I ever wanted. Sounds like Wales. Sounds like Wales. <laughs> I've been it really Wales a does. Lot. There we go. Yeah, it's just yeah. It's so. It's a lovely place. Bit bleak. I believe it's right. the full. The full show was filmed completely separately in both Welsh and English. It's, mm. I think the first oh. show that it's done on. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. So it's, it's a way. it's a fantastic um, show. It's on Netflix and mm. on most um, uh, streaming services, so you, you can watch it. But Hinterland, big thumbs up there. It's a it's a very mm. again just the detective and just his miserable existence. Mm. It's great. Uh, let's move on to the topic. Um, so we've had Neil on before on um, a special interview po- uh, episode that we'd done a, a while back uh, online uh, where um, we had uh, Ichiro from the Joban Games and we had Neil on from, from Ten Men. They, we were having this um, discussion about where, where writing has been and where it's going. Um, and I think that's a really good episode uh, and I think there was a lot of um, information and very knowledgeable stuff dropped in that episode. So do check that out. Um, if at all you enjoy the conversation uh, today. And if you don't, well, just blame it on Neil and just go listen to that one. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, so we wanted to uh, talk a little bit about that whole future side of things. Um, and also just talk about where the the industry is at at the moment um maybe due a lot to where um the morning bell is going in the next year and some exciting possibilities perhaps um we've been having this thought and this idea more and more about the conversation that happens between genre and literary Mm -hmm. and that's a thing that happens quite often uh within the writing sphere um and I from from the from what I've noticed, just um, uh, one being like an outsider insider, I guess, um, in the industry, and also just looking in, just curious. I'm. I also wonder: is that is that something that does happen within game development? Is that something that happens, especially within indie game development? Um, is there a conversation to be had about? 
are we are we making a serious game? Are we making a a uh, game that tells a story that is particularly important or innovative or mm. um, exposing, or are we telling a story that's, I don't know, doom? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so we have these weird clashing mm. contrasts, which are great because it means that everything gets explored, but at the same time, it, within that, does that have a uh, element of this is a respectable game and this is maybe not so much? Mm. What do you think, Neil? Am I off base here? No, uh, no it's just it's, it's a giant can of worms. Though. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's no, open it, it up. It's, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's but it's it, it, look. Video games at the minute are in a really interesting place. Mm-hmm. We've got so many diverse, different creations coming out. You know, mm. from your 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 dooms on one end yep. to your I'm plucking it at dear Esther's on the other yeah. end or something yeah. like that. So. You know, there's a, and the wonderful thing about that is, is, is allowing lots of people to um, mm. create narratives in lots of different ways. Mm. And there is already, I mean, over the last five to ten years, the kind of indie development, the indie darlings yeah. have yeah, risen, yeah. and there are indie awards ceremonies where you kind of know what games are going to appear <laughs> in those awards, and they tend to be games which you know are. are yeah, if we're talking about film, the the more art house mm. cinema of yeah. games, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. um, and you know that's a good thing um, because it it means that we're maturing as a medium, mm-hmm. um, and you see then crossovers between those kind of games. I, I, just to pull something straight out of the air, I was playing Firewatch the other day, mm-hmm. um, which is a wonderful game, and that's a game which feels like. It's crossing those two areas. It feels like a cool art house game, but it has these kind of more what we would call AAA, which means the kind of yeah. you know, big studio yeah. quality to it. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot more games over the next few years, especially as a lot of these kind of like indie developers that are, you know, you know, don't have much money and they're, they're sort of yeah. being yep. they're being artsy suddenly get money because people realize that they're very talented mm. and they're given money to create the things yeah mm. um you just got to look at the guy that made the film monsters mm. you know and then he went on is, is he did rogue what was it rogue one wasn't it? yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. you know it, we're gonna see some of that going on in mm. the, the equivalent of getting gaming i think so and that's great i think I was trying to think, you know, back to the days of when I was a kid and like the early, uh, the early storytelling games, and the, the one that comes to mind is Double Dragon. By Double Dragon, <laughs> the original storyline, yeah. big tough guy comes along, kidnaps the girlfriend. I mean, really, not an empowering storyline <laughs> here, um, you know. And then you go fight a whole lot of bad guys to go and save the girl like that. We've come a long way from that. Mm. I'd, I'd like to think, in in many ways. Um, do you do you think that there's still a place though for simplistic storytelling, or if people's expectations change, that they do expect a better level of story during a game? No, I think you, I think there is there is still a place for all those kind of games. Yep. I think somebody tomorrow could make a, a, another Double Dragon clone, <laughs> and it would still sell lots because Double Dragon is kind of fun. You get to yeah, beat yeah. people up in the street, right? Um, and that's kind of fun. That's you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think yeah, there's there's a, there's going to be a place for all these things. Um, I would be really disappointed if we all got up our own bottoms yeah. mm. about it and started only you know praising the arty games because yep. you know sometimes I just want to 
beat things up in the street. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm I'm always impressed by the narratives telling in story games because it's it's so hard. there's such a complex mix that you have to get right. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. You know, getting the balance between story and the, if the story's good but you know has a terrible frame rate or something, it's gonna you know mm. yeah the gameplay experience tells on the story experience. Yeah, if you if you want to experience that, go play the parts of the Caribbean game that got uh, released. Um, it's a it's a hot mess, but thoroughly beautiful, <laughs> but a hot mess. Believe me, <laughs> just to give you one idea you'd land on the on the thing you'd land on the beach and you'd know that you had the game uh, that you've been discovered because the game would literally wait for five minutes you couldn't move while the guards ran in the game from the nearest <laughs> town to <laughs> they would you. lock you in place yeah, yeah well, it would lock you in place right anyway so you'd land and be like okay i'm now going to get attacked in five minutes yeah go make a sandwich anyway uh just saying that no matter how good the story is but one thing i think that can be good as well is um it, it, when something still surprises you that's often the stuff that you remember when something comes along in a story and just kind of blindsides you a bit and you're like, oh, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't see that coming. And I think that that kind of thing is still, still there. I, I guess my question would be, um, what do you see as being um, – is, is there a place for that, that complexity where, where things are kind of twisty-turny? That, is that difficult to build in? Is that the kind of thing that you'd, uh, you'd expect to see more of in the future? So – Yes. Sorry, so all over the place. No, no, it's not at all. So, so here's the thing, right? Video games are an interactive experience. Mm. As you go through the experience, you're controlling the, the the characters or the the events that happen, and so therefore, um, the game needs to be open to all the possible things that you're going to do. Mm. And in what happens in video games, it's all a bit smoke and mirrors. In that, mm. it, it sometimes makes it look like you can do lots of things, and actually, yep. you you can't. Mm. Um, now, I deal a lot with choose-your-own-adventure stories, mm. and it's exactly the same, but in mm. a slightly different way, in that if you want to tell com- compelling narratives that have multi-strands <laughs> off of yeah. multi-strands off of multi-strands, mm. um, it's, very com- it's very difficult to do that. The, the difference between you know, more linear experiences like film and books mm-hmm. is that it's start to finish. Mm. so you always know what you're going to get whereas in a video game you're going to have to cover all the bases and mm. unless you've got ridiculously supersized budgets you can't mm. you know produce like let's say you were making a game of thrones game yeah and john snow decided not to go and visit you know mm. daenerys <laughs> yep and you know he decided to go to the to the to the wall instead you'd have to make two whole games yeah. one of you yeah. going to see and yeah. so you can't you have you know so so yes, these things are going to get more complex, hmm. but they're always going to have to be within the framework so that you don't you don't get these massively open. So the narrative is always constrained by the technology. You kind of have to constrain it in some way. The only other way you go around doing that is by creating a, an open world game, something like Grand Theft Auto, yeah. mm. and make that multiplayer, and then everybody tells their own stories. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's yep. that's where video games is quite exciting, and that you can mm. you end up in that kind of space. But anything that's got a narrative to it is mm. always going to be slightly constrained because there's a rigidity to that. There has to be, otherwise yeah. you end up with a million writers and yeah. all the artists that have to create all the assets for all the different places that mm. all the writers have sent these people to. Yeah, you can't. You can't do that. 
Yeah. Mm. One game that did it uh, really well, I think, is Knights of the Old, Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah. Uh, which game. just, and the way they did that was through, you know, I think you had four constrained worlds you could go to, and it, and it had a, um, what's the word for it, a, a bottleneck. Yeah. Where you had to choose eventually whether you were going to be good or bad. Yeah, yeah. And so they did it very cleverly, I think, yeah. and that's an example of where you But can. you still need that bottleneck. You're st- you've already said there's four worlds. You know, there, yeah. there is, you know, you could probably, if you broke open that game, you could probably draw it on a sheet of A4 with loads of boxes connecting each to yeah. each other. Mm. There, is a, there is a strict thing. Mm. You know, yeah. Um, there's a there's a pathway basically. Also, I just want to correct you there, Ian. It's not good and evil. It's Sith and Jedi. S- sorry, there's a difference. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Just want to point that out. I'm more of a Star Trek. <laughs> not fan, that apparently. that says anything about my preferences, <laughs> but anyway. What was um, that about the contrary? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it it's interesting because I we we talked about this um, on that interview a while back, um, Neil, but. One of those things that stand out to me is uh, there was a game that came out a while back called Spec Ops The Line. Mm. It's a linear experience, pretty much, um, with some choices that aren't really choices. They're more like to make you, you know, consider whether, you know, there's choice. And while that game was criticized for its gameplay, it was praised for its, its narrative. Now, it's interesting because I played that game and I thought, man, you know, this, it, it, it was doing the whole Apocalypse Now mm. um, uh, Heart of Darkness storyline, mm-hmm. right? So there was a there was a good frame of reference for them, and they knew what the kind of feeling of that story, that descent into madness, um, was going to be like. And it did flip the whole shooter element, the gung ho hero thing, on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was great at that time, and I thought it was fantastic. Like I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And you go back, uh, and I did, and I I went back and just had a look and said, all right, these are the experiences I enjoyed. Let's let's have a look at them with the prism of you know, a bit of time. Hmm. And while, yes, they did some interesting things, man, like, um, you realize how limiting that game actually mm. is in terms of its mm. its scope, in terms of the writing, in terms of how obvious some of the, the, the writing is. Mm. Um, is, there, is there a kind of feeling, Neil, that really we're at the, we're at the burgeoning, you know, just past the amateur, you know, field of, you know, what's possible. We're in this imaginative playground. Everyone's trying out new ideas. And sometimes we make things that are quite good only because of the things that are surrounded by it, right, in that Mm. genre, which maybe aren't so good. Mm. So you're saying the quality is is relative to what else is around. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, kind of. It's... It's a difficult. It's funny what you're saying. You're going back and seeing this game. I wonder when you first played it. Like you obviously thought it was amazing. Then. Yeah. And and mm. then since then, um, it's it's like anything. Like you know, uh, we work with the Fighting Fantasy series, mm. which are these game books from the eighties. Yep. Yeah. Right. And since the eighties, we've had the Lord of the Rings <laughs> movies. We've had yeah. Game of yeah. Thrones. We've had loads of loads of evolutions of the fantasy genre. genre yeah. mm. And you know you and you know, one of the things that we struggle with is is trying to make those books relevant again. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's difficult because they do feel of a bygone age. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, and it's... There's a kind of appeal in that, though, isn't there? Well, right? this is it. I mean, we play on that. Yeah. Like, we yeah. play on the nostalgia. Yeah, and we, we actually yeah. unabashedly yeah. go, <laughs> we are this thing that yeah. you knew from yeah, your childhood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's okay to do that. Um, but I, one of the things that I think that worries me is as the fidelity of, the, of a lot of the games now gets much much better 
one of the things I love about playing old games, well, like when you go back to an old game, mm. you go, oh, this isn't as good as I remember it. <laughs> and I wonder whether, because in its simplicity before, and there was a lot less presented to you, mm. you actually uh, filled in the gaps in mm. your, with your own uh, imagination. Yeah. And the problem is now when you've got a you know super high res uh you know there's a lot of expectations yeah everything's there there's no there's everything's presented to you there's you don't have to think anymore and fill in the gaps yeah um Mm. and and so yeah that's that that, that'll be an interesting thing i'm gonna it'll be interesting how that plays out yeah and you know going back to that game firewatch again Mm. firewatch was so beautiful in that it left a lot to your imagination. Mm. That's a lot of things that people didn't like about it, right? Was that the whole ambiguity and like things weren't paid off? Did did you like that? Oh, that's the beauty. Mm. It's like, it was like watching an Alfred Hitchcock film. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was just, I was on the edge of my seat. Yeah. And it was just, it was so beautifully, yeah. Pace. I think if I think about the the endings to games that I really enjoyed as well, I have enjoyed ambiguity. And um, one of the, one of the, um, uh, it's fairly ambiguous. The end of Final Fantasy VIII is not it's not entirely clear as to what happens to one of the main characters. It's uh, it's left a little bit. It, it like if you follow it, you kind of think it's like the the end of um, Inception in a way. You kind of like if you think one way, it could go that way. If you think another way, it could go another way. So mm. I, I I personally like ambiguity, but I can see why people would struggle with that mm. filling things in. Yeah, I think I think that's um, and this is an example for the you know gazillionth time that I've brought it up in a <laughs> in a game discussion about stories that Dark Souls mm. is that experience <laughs> which prides itself on ambiguity in terms yeah. of its storytelling, and its storytelling is told not through a lot of narration or exposition, but through environments, through level design, mm-hmm. um, mm. through things that your character has to endure, go through, mm. um, and. I think this is something that was interesting to me, and it's it's that fan, that fancy word that nobody really likes, the ludonarrative dissonance thing that you know mm. people bring up. Um, is that I I think uh, you have player expectation, then you have story expectation, and if the two things don't mesh very neatly, you get mm. a lot of issues. Kind of like people's mm. concerns with Bioshock Infinite and. And the fact that you were slaughtering, you know, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people, but you had time to, you know, play the guitar and mm-hmm. and um, like th- this this sort of thing, right? And this story about um, about a man's redemption and all this sort of stuff, you know. Mm. But then you got your shooting arenas and you and you got mm. what you wanted, and while and it worked for a lot of people, mm. but it always, for me, for being an outsider and just not playing it, not understanding the context to me it always sort of struck me it's like oh here here's some sharp political commentary about you know race relations and then mm. here's you gunning down people for for 20 minutes mm. but again it's that whole you know there would have been a lot of gamers there that were in there for the gunning down yep and yep. suddenly learn something and then suddenly learn something so yeah you know that's no bad thing mm. um mm. yeah i think that's what's changed for me as i've gotten older because you know i went to play um uh, diablo 3 and i just I couldn't handle the, you know, rescuing the damsel in distress thing anymore. I was like, no, I'm, I'm not doing this. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, because for me, I think story and, and narrative has become really important. So I play a game these days to experience a really great story. And if the story isn't there, I, I actually lose interest. Um, but that's, that's just me. That's yeah, there, there, was, um, there was a stat that I quoted a while back, and I forget the name of it, but um, there was this quite a large in-depth survey done on um, 
trends on people uh, in terms of games, like what they look for in a mm. game. Um, and by and large, the majority of people going into was the narrative, which surprised me. I didn't mm. expect that. But does it have a good story was one of the highest you know, factors, yeah. not the only one, yeah. but one of the highest factors in terms of would you buy this? And would you play this? Do you think people realize that part of what makes that story compelling, though, is the fact that you don't notice the game, if you know what I mean? Like, it's so well designed, you enjoy it so much that you're just kind of, it's a fluid. Yeah, part that's of the that story. Dark Souls experience that I was yeah. talking about, right? Like, yeah. you never really know what you're in, never really know what story you're being a part of. Mm. Um, but it's just little tidbits that just give you enough information to go along. Um, and, and there are some which, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you mentioned the fidelity aspect, Neil, and mm. it's, it's that at at one stage we want things to look as good as they can look, but by doing that we're prioritizing something else. Then you know, obviously there is a there is something that you give something, you take something away from something else, kind mm. of an aspect. Mm. Um, and I feel like we've reached this. Uh, it, it was sort of the two D, three D era, right? When like mm. they were making some fantastic titles in 2D and then 3D came along and then <laughs> t- now the 2D looks much better than the than the early 3D because it looked <laughs> garbage. But <laughs> and the, and yeah. Lemmings. Yeah. I mean like everything from that period which tried to make that switch was they yeah. were going on, the, on that mm. like mm. this is the, the technological arc of what what's possible mm. and leaving behind the these are some yeah. fantastic stories that we left behind kind of a thing. Mm. Um, do you think that's happening again with this sort of push towards this? And, and now we have a new push, right? We've got the VR thing mm. coming around the corner. I, and this... I, I don't know anything about VR. Yeah. And this new push and mm. stories are going to have to find a way of being told through that medium uh, mm. as well. Yes. Mm. I, I Yes. I think... There, there is a lot going on at the minute with, with, you know, video games and different platforms and different ways of consuming these games. Mm. Um, I think everybody in their respective fields, especially writers, will always keep pushing forward in their relative game genres and keep doing the best they can do. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot we still haven't, you know, I think there's a lot to come, which mm. is going to be really exciting. Um, in the normal game space where we're at at the moment and then you add the VR thing on top of that um, and you've got this whole new level of um, interaction um, Mm. which places you in the centre of a a movie effectively yeah yeah and you know that's really really exciting Um, uh, I'm still I'm still not sure where that's going to end up mm-hmm. um i have lots of worries about about where it's going and what it's doing mm. i'm not so sure people want to be in the middle of movies mm. i think people quite like passive experiences of watching mm. other people yeah so but you know i think it's again as with all these things it's hard to tell and i think it's about the way it's presented mm-hmm. um so you know there there is i mean the current thing in vr for example is a lot of horror games it's the obvious go-to because, yes. <laughs> you know, it's the what's around the corner yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and I was playing the other week the, uh, the the shark, swimming with sharks 
thing oh, on hmm. PlayStation VR. Do. <laughs> yeah, how was that? Oh, it scared the living yeah. daylights out of me. <laughs> really? Like, like, I actually, at one mm. point, I took the goggles off. Yeah. yeah and right. I was just like, I have to just get out of here for a second. I went back in. Mm. Wow. Um, so, yeah, look, there's lots of really interesting things with the narrative. It's, it's super exciting. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think from a writing point of view, I think there's a lot to come and there's a lot of really talented people out there doing mm. lots of really interesting things. And sometimes we get confused. We think of writing as a, somebody sat there writing words on a page, which then gets turned into a script yeah. or something mm. that goes in mm. the game. That's not just what game writing about is about. Sometimes you can write a narrative in a game and not have any writers come near it. Yeah. And sometimes that narrative mm. turns up in other ways, mm-hmm. um, in the way that, visuals are fed to you and the pace at mm-hmm. which those visuals are fed to you mm-hmm. um and i think there's going to be lots of really interesting things and things that we haven't we can't it's that whole thing like we don't know it exists yet yeah, yeah. right and then you know when it'll exist go oh well, i haven't i'm surprised nobody thought of that before yeah mm, i think absolutely. there's a lot of that still to come in the vr space mm. and the ar space as well yeah the augmented reality mm-hmm. um mm. which i think is just as exciting so yeah would you jump into VR to experience something new and fresh, Ian? Yeah, I think so. And I guess with with all types of storytelling, you know, you figure out what's it, what's a cheap way of doing it, and what's what's an authentic thing. I mean, every story elicits an emotion from us. That's what we love about good stories. They they draw us in, and we get making an emotional connection. And uh, VR, I'm sure, will give us lots of great ways to do that outside of the horror scare or the, <laughs> the swimming with sharks. You know, it, you've got to start somewhere and people are going to try things and see if they work. The tech demo um, stage. Yeah, yeah, the tech demo stage. And I mean, we, we all remember that as various technologies have come mm-hmm. along. We're, we're lucky to have had the, the full breadth of, of gaming from its early days, yeah. you know, through to now. So, yeah, I mean, and it'll be interesting as well as uh, I'm sure that people, I, I would hope that, that more and more people who write as well would see uh, video games as a legitimate. Absolutely. Because uh, it is completely legitimate. Some of the mo- you know best emotional connections I've ever made have been from a game because mm-hmm. of the hours you invest in it. Mm-hmm. The payoff can be huge. You know, after yeah. a 50-hour game of Final Fantasy, I've paid off in the massive way compared to, you know, a shorter 10-hour book or something. Yeah. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. I guess with final comments. So, yeah, Um, I think, yeah, I I think the video game experience is one of those things that can leave you simply because of the time you invest in it. Exactly like you said. And um, there's an example that, you know, it's fairly recent, but um, it's something I experienced. In Dishonored, you play a character that doesn't speak uh, in the first game anyway. Um, So it's it's a silent protagonist and you go through the world and either you murder everyone or you're nice to everyone kind of thing. Stealth. Um, and there's an antagonist in the game, and in the DLC, one of the best pieces of DLC I've ever played in a video game, um, where you then switch to the role of the antagonist, and you Mm. play through the aftermath of him dealing with it, and Mm. he's not a silent protagonist. It's one of the most effective, interesting, and sympathetic Mm. reactions I've ever got out of a a video game villain, Mm. and it was completely unexpected. It, It... it um a lot of people probably didn't even play it, it you know it just sort sort of came out as that small piece of dlc it wasn't really advertised very much mm-hmm. um but the thought and the writing heart mm. that that had um combined with a, a very powerful narration made that one of a great a great experience and and i think in vr like you said neil um I think not a lot of people like to be that center of attention. They like to see things going on around them. Mm. I think VR can also be used for that. Like, obviously, speaking completely as a, you know, just as a speculative Mm. um, argument, I would think that 
I feel like the possibilities are really large in that space. Once we move beyond that, mm. you know, mm. this is a new thing and move into, you know, let's treat this as a serious um, alternative. And obviously that means that, you know, that changes technology, changes time, changes. Um, writers are more comfortable with working in the medium and companies are more comfortable working in the medium. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there is a very positive um, thing to come in, in that space. So there we go, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you've enjoyed the discussion. Bit of a um, all over the place kind of a discussion, but I think that's <laughs> kind of where we're at in video games at the moment. It's kind of we're doing a lot of things at once. Yeah, um, I'd agree with that. Neil, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Uh, what have you got coming up? What's Ten Man got coming up? Um, so we've just released some DLC downloadable content for the Warlock of Fight Up Magic called mm-hmm. Goblin Scourge. Uh-huh. We play some new heroes. We've got our Choices Choose Your Adventure app on Android and iOS, um, which is a free-to-play. And then at the end of this month, August, we've got the second episode of Miss Fisher and the Deathly Maze based on the TV show, Mm. um, which is very exciting. Absolutely. Where can people follow you? Social media links? Um, So Twitter, at Tim Man Games. Uh, We have a blog, uh, a Tim Man Games blog. We also have a Facebook page, Tim Man Games. Mm uh, we have gamebookadventures.com, which is like our commercial front for our apps as well. Yep. Fantastic. Ian, what yep. have you got coming up and where can people find you? Uh, so coming up, just uh, if you sign up to my newsletter to keep in touch, uh, if you just go to ihlaking.com, it'll pop up in about 12 seconds, I believe. Is the have you counted? I've, I've set the timer. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's good. And you can catch me at ihlaking on Twitter. Uh, it'll be good. Melbourne Writers Festival, just around the corner. Absolutely. Um, you can find the Morning Bell at the underscore Morning Bell on Twitter. TheMorningBell.com.au is our website where you can find all our numerous podcast archives. We have two other episodes with Neil on them, uh, one with Ichiro and one live at the bookstore, and those are fantastic episodes, so you should definitely check those out as well if you've enjoyed this discussion. Um, we'll be back in the bookstore in two weeks with Luke talking about his adventures overseas and why he ditched us for so long. Um, but uh, expect exciting stories and a great guest uh, to come. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.